Do your child's temper tantrums test your limits? Do you struggle to stay calm when your child is falling apart? Does every disagreement seem to end in a screaming match? In this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interview play therapist Kim Feeney, who specializes in helping children and parents cope with big emotions. She gives us practical tips for helping kids manage their emotions while also keeping our own in check. And we talk about some ways that we as parents can build stronger connections with children through play. She also shares how play therapy can be a life-changing intervention for more challenging situations. Join us for this extremely practical episode. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms. I'm Dr. Amy Moore here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Our guest today is Kim Feeney. Kim is a licensed independent social worker and registered play therapist supervisor. She owns Butterfly Beginnings Counseling in Davenport, Iowa, and has over 10 years of experience helping children and families lead healthier emotional lives. Believing all behavior is purpose-driven, she works with parents and children to find alternative ways to meet social and behavioral needs. Kim says, let's take your kids from tantrums to talking. That would be great. Let's do that. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly what I hope to do today. Good. I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So before we get into your work, I would like for you to tell the listeners a little bit about your story, how you got to where you are today, doing what you're doing. And, um, and I also then want to, if you would tell us, tack on at the end of that, what's the name Butterfly Beginnings? What's that from? So tell us your story. All right. Not a problem. Um, I grew up in a very helping professional family. My mom was a special education teacher and retired after 40 years. My dad worked with mentally and physically handicapped and challenged individuals and adults. So helping people was kind of in my blood. I was just kind of born into it. So I always knew that I wanted to do something along those lines. And I toyed with as growing up being a teacher Um, then a pediatrician. And then when the blood and guts got to me, I realized I couldn't do that at a young age. Um, I decided on being a therapist. So as I went through my formative years, that was kind of in my mind. And then I had my own personal mental health challenges in like middle school, you know, the tween years where we all kind of struggle. And again, my therapist was so beneficial in helping me through that hard time and that struggle. And the connection that we made and just the insights that she helped me to see in my own life was eye-opening. So that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to specialize in kids and teens and families versus more of the adult side of things. Um, And then I went on from there, college, and got my training in play therapy and opened Butterfly Beginnings. And the name, um, butterflies have always been really special in my life. Um, I'm a very faith-based person and not that my counseling is really faith-based. I don't push that on any of my clients or anything, but the butterfly has always been symbolic of the transformation and the journey and had a kind of a religious connotation just for me specifically. Um, And that's kind of what I want to lead my clients into, um, transforming and becoming new, not really new individuals, but realizing new things about themselves and things they didn't recognize about themselves and the family just going through this new journey together. So that's kind of where the name came from. 
I love that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your specialty, play therapy. So for our listeners who might not have heard of that before or not understand what that is, talk a little bit about what play therapy is, who it's for, and what kind of issues it can address. Absolutely. Kids don't have the cognitive verbal abilities that we do as adults. We hear on and on the brain's not developed till age 25 or age 30. So the kids, their brain's still developing. So we use what they do best, which is play, to help them express their feelings. And in my playroom, I've got dollhouses and puppets and sand and art and games and just a wide variety, Legos, a wide variety of expressive toys that the kids can go in and they can figure out what they like, what they don't like. And I'll target interventions specifically to them. Um, Like when I'm building a rapport with a client, I may have them go into the dollhouse and just be like, show me what a day is like with your family. And they'll use the figures. And, you know, I get things like through how they position the characters and who is close to who and who's spending time with who and things like that. Whereas, again, they wouldn't be able to tell me all those little nuances, but as they play it out, I can kind of see it visually and how they're expressing things. Or if they had a hard day at school, I may say, okay, let's go to the puppets and play out or give me a puppet show of what exactly happened with your friends. And then I can intervene and take a puppet and have like a helper character, you know, and kind of change the story or what could we do differently next time with the puppets. So that's just a couple examples of how we use the toys to to help the kids express themselves. The other part of the play therapy, though, it's not really all the toys and gadgets and doodads. It's about the relationship and creating that safe space for the client as well. Um, I tried to build that from day one by just allowing them to come in and explore. I allow them to ask me questions right off the bat. It's not just a one-sided conversation so they can get comfortable with me just like I want to get comfortable with them. It's a mutual respect and understanding. Um, Play therapy can address a wide variety of issues. Like I said, we do things from family stuff like divorce and grief and loss, um, school things, bullying, moving, changing friends, to like your more traditional mental health issues like anxiety, depression, ADHD. Um, So a wide variety of things can be used by therapy. Trauma, unfortunately, I do have some of those challenging, heartbreaking cases as well. So what, what age group is play therapy best for? You can use play therapy throughout the lifespan, but ideally it targets, um, it's developmentally appropriate for ages like three to 10. Okay. And is that standard of care for children in terms of therapy? I definitely feel it is. If I have somebody that's looking for a therapist and it's a child client, I will definitely say, look for a registered play therapist or somebody that does play therapy. Because that's, again, that's just how the kids' brains work. They work better through the play than the talk therapy. And is that research-based? Yes, it is. We have definitely many forms of play therapy that are evidence-based. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Just um, to confirm that or whatever, from a personal perspective, um, our little girl, our youngest, um, is adopted. She's been with us for five years now. But when she first joined our family, she had just turned four mm-hmm. and had gone through a lot of 
neglect and trauma. And when we, you know, took her to the doctor's office, you know, right away, and we're just looking at, okay, what are the needs? And so she had to be in physical therapy, um, speech therapy. And then as far as counseling and kind of trying to help her adjust to, she had some big fears, big anxieties about some really sad things. Um, And it was play therapy that we worked through. And I'll tell you the truth. At the beginning, I was like, this is so ridiculous. They're playing dollies. And then I, I learned more about it. I read more about it. And as things unfolded, I mean, it, it helped her. It worked. She was able to work through fear of men. Um, she had massive fear of, of any grown man and a deep voice. And um, she was able to work through that. I don't understand how. But it was amazing. And in those months, she was able to then not be afraid of the grocery store checker or whatever that was a guy. And she worked through it. Yeah, that's yeah. just the magic of play. It was amazing. Yeah. So do parents participate in the sessions as well? Or is the play therapist working solely with the child? I try to individualize my treatment plans to the client's. Um, if it is more of a parent-child relationship or an attachment thing, I will include the parents in the session. Um, I definitely, no matter what I do, if it's individual sessions with the child or parent sessions, include the parents in some form. I always have a check-in with parents at the beginning. I say, what went well this week? Because I always want to start off with the strengths and the positives. And then I'll say, give me one thing that could have gone better or differently. And they'll let me know that. And then I'll always check in again at the end um, and teach them the skill or technique that we worked on this week. So then they can take it in the home. They see the kids 365 days a year. If I'm lucky, on it's 52 weeks a year that I get to have contact with the kid. So the parent is really where the change happens. They need to know what's going on in the session, even if it's just one-on-one with me and the kid for the majority of the time. Because that is, the system is where the change is going to happen. And I will consult also with teachers or OTs or pediatricians or psychiatrists. Because again, it's a systems approach and we all have a hand in how to make change in this child. Absolutely. So good. That is, that's beautiful. It feels confirming for what we went through. Because I'm like, yep, that's how it was with us. We didn't, I wasn't involved in the therapist therapy, but we always met at the beginning and at the end, just like you said, it was, it's a, it's very helpful. I think, especially for small children and when she had communication problems, or if your kid has, let's transition to the next question, emotion regulation problems. Let's talk about tantrums. Yes. So, yeah. So talk going from tantrums to talking, That's still a struggle in my house with my little girl. She's still, I think, just from so much of the wounding, she does, she struggles with, with fear, with, um, she wants to be in control of things. So being told no is very hard, not getting her way, even more so than a a neurotypical child. It's very difficult for her. And those, even if it's sadness, fear, anxiety, worry, those turn into tantrums, big emotions turn into tantrums. Talk to us about that, what what we can do. Absolutely. The first step for the kid or the family in general is just recognizing what emotion is going on. Because a lot of things kind of look the same. Worry, excitement, anger, it all comes into that big, big explosive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So 
I teach the parents to reflect the feelings to the child. You're angry, you're worried, you're even excitement. You know, we can get overly excited and that can wind up causing, you know, havoc sometimes. So just Daniel Siegel says, name it to tame it in his books. So just naming and recognizing what's going on can go so far. And then helping that child to identify when this happens again and again and again. So they recognize the patterns. And okay, when my stomach gets in knots, I'm feeling anxious. When my chest gets tight, I'm getting angry. Then they can make those connections. It's kind of like a puzzle they're putting together of the connections with the body sensations to naming the emotion. And then I teach parents just like have an emotion chart. Because again, kids don't always have that verbal ability. But if they see a picture of what's going on, of an angry emoji or a happy emoji or a sad, and just a few times a day, check in with the child so they can do that kind of body scan and figure out what emotion am I experiencing and what's going on with me. Again, just so they can get used to that. It's that repetition when we're calm, because then they can, when they're calm, they can connect to the cortex, which is where our problem solving and all our logic happens. So then hopefully when they're dysregulated, muscle memory and brain memory will take over and they can connect to that piece. Your blog post, I love, I dug into some of your, oh, not blog, I'm sorry, some of your podcasts that are actually, they're videos. It's not YouTube. just a YouTube video. Yep. Yeah. So YouTube video, um, listeners, if you want to check that out, um, the, she's talking about one right now, the art of reflecting feelings um, that I went through and I, I just soaked it up. Oh my goodness. So helpful uh, at the website, butterflybeginningscounseling.com. The art of reflecting feelings was super, super helpful. And that's what you're talking about is for us as parents to learn how to help our children understand what those big emotions are to then tame them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it helps if parents can narrate themselves when they're having big emotions. Like if mom has a jar, she can't get open and she's trying and she's trying and she's getting frustrated. If she says, if the kid's doing homework at the table and she just says, I'm getting frustrated. I can't open this jar. I'm going to stop, take a few deep breaths, calm myself, and then I'm going to figure out how I can get this jar open, whether I need a new process, if I need to go find dad and see if he can open it, but just narrating and showing the child, modeling for the child, how we regulate ourselves in those little situations too. So parents are frequently uncomfortable with those big emotions that their children are expressing, right? Especially if it's happening in public. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, what do you say to parents on how to regulate their own response um, to those big emotions that their children are expressing? Like how, how can they be in that space um, with their child without exacerbating the emotion that their child is experiencing by not being able to regulate your own? Yeah, we call it one foot in and one foot out because you have to have one foot in the big feelings with the child to be able to kind of co-regulate and help them understand what's going on. And you have to have one foot out that is that calmer side of you because we have what we call mirror neurons. 
where kids will pick up on everything that's going on around us. So if we escalate our emotions as adults, that is just going to, the kid's just going to continue to skyrocket. However, if we remain calm or as calm as possible. So the first step in co-regulating a child is just to check in with yourself. What am I feeling right now? Can I take a couple quick deep breaths or do some movement or rocking or whatever that I need to regulate myself before I jump in with this with the kid? And then we can, again, I teach the parents to narrate what they're doing. I see you're angry right now. Let's sing a song or let's breathe or rock or let's go get a drink of water. Um, there's millions of different regulation techniques that you know we can do. But again, it's that one foot in, one foot out. Being in it with the child, but also being able to stay outside and look at it from a you know logical point of view. So let's talk about one of the most common scenarios mm-hmm. that that parents struggle um, to manage. And that's the grocery store temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about what, what parents can do in those scenarios. For sure. Again, like I said, take a deep breath, get on your child's level. If they're, you know, little and they're walking next to you, kneel down, look them in the eye. If they're in the cart, obviously you're kind of, you know, eye level already, but get on their level and just talk to them. You're really angry right now, or you're upset that I won't buy you the candy bar. You're upset that we can't get your special kind of cereal today. Let's breathe. And hopefully, again, as we do this, they will pick up on it and co-regulate. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes you can say it's okay to be angry. But what is not okay is how you're rea- how you're behaving right now, because we want to teach kids that all feelings are okay. It's okay to have the wide range of emotions. It's the behaviors that follow the feelings that we want to kind of adjust and make more socially appropriate. So again, identify the feeling, tell them it's okay and say, okay, we want to relax. We want to calm down, try to co-regulate. Again, if that doesn't happen, we just kind of got to go with it. And keep talking, remain calm yourself, get through the line, and hopefully the child will then calm down when they're removed from the situation. Okay. So would your recommendation be to push through? Um, Okay, you've got grocery shopping to get done. Are you going to finish grocery shopping even in the midst of the temper tantrum? Or do you pick the child up and take them out? I would finish grocery shopping. The child needs to learn to be in the uncomfortable feeling. Um, in my play sessions, if a kid comes in and they're angry or they're sad or whatever, we'll sit with that feeling. We'll even have a tea party with it. We'll draw the feeling. We'll make it a shape or a color to give it some concreteness. And then, like I said, we'll have a tea party with it or we'll play a game with anger, or worry, or sadness. And we'll just kind of sit in it. And what does that feel like? And what comes up in our body and how that goes? Just because kids need to learn. While their feelings are okay, and they will pass. Absolutely. So I'm I'm thinking of Jadaria again, my little my youngest, my little girl. Of course, I'm just I'm soaking up everything you say. Like, oh my goodness, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And yeah, she's had so much therapy. She's had so much counseling. She's with the therapist right now. We really like. And yet, 
I, I want our, our listeners to hear, I want moms to hear that this is not a quick fix process. You're not going to have a kid that's having tantrums and go, wow, I listened to this podcast. Now I'm doing one, two, three, everything's better. A tantrum never happened again. That this is a long-term investment of learning for both of us. Because I know for me, what you're talking about, a big part of it was I have had to learn to calm down because I get like, that is not okay. You know, like I just want to strangle her. And even though I'm talking very, very calmly and we're not going to behave that way. You know, I'm very calm, but not really. My heart rate is up. So like you said, those mirroring neurons, as a parent, I think it's not just about, I need to control how the child's behaving. I need to control how I am behaving. I need to recognize my big emotions and tame them. (laughs) Exactly. We need to feel, be able to sit with our uncomfortable emotions as well. And some of that, like in the grocery store is going to be some of that embarrassment or shame and just being able to be okay with that in the moment. Do you have a practical tool? This is a random question. Um, so I would love to print something out for my home, for my daughter, that's got the faces, like you said, like the emojis and the the um, emotions. Mm-hmm. Do you have a tool or something that I could go to a website and print out a page that shows this face and this emotion? I do have a website that I recommend for parents that I can give you guys the link and you can link it in the show notes or whatever, where they can print off a, yeah, a sheet. Perfect. Would it just rattle it off real quick for any listener that's like super auditory learner and can listen and grab it? Oh, well, my six ways to cope with big emotions, which has the link is butterflybeginningscounseling.com slash coping. Okay. Coping. Yeah. Coping. Okay. Perfect. So, yeah. So I'm going to, let's switch topics now. Um, I come from an early childhood background, so I completely understand the importance of play for child development. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about the importance of playing with your child and how those special play times can strengthen the connection between you and your child. Absolutely. Taking the play therapy skills of just reflecting feelings of what we call tracking, which is just saying exactly what the child's doing and then restating content, which is kind of paraphrasing what the child says. Teaching parents how to do that at home validates what the child is experiencing. It puts the parent in the child, but allows the child to lead the playtime. So they get some control over what's going on. And just getting the parents to take that step back and watching their child develop and grow and lead and just play and have fun with your child. We're so in a society, go, 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 go. And scheduling this practice and this recital or this test, studying for this test. It's like just taking that downtime and enjoying those moments with your child is so gratifying and fun. And kids don't get that sometimes between work and school. And like I said, extracurricular activities, just enjoying those moments and teaching parents that I see the smile when they come in and they talk about the 20 minutes of playtime they had with their kid during that week and what they learned that they learned. I didn't know my kid was so artistic or creative or building Legos. The, The nuances they learn about their child that they didn't know before is 
so rewarding for me to see. So what does that participation look like from the parent's side? Should they be asking questions? Should they direct the play? Like, what would it look like? Yeah, you would not direct the play. You would just say, this is our special playtime. And I try to get parents within budgetary limits to have a set of toys that is just for special playtime. So they'll have a box, you know, one of those Rubbermaid tubs or whatever that you can buy at Walmart or Target that is just their special playtime toys and then set out a blanket that is the special playtime area. So again, it's all special and unique for just this time. And then the kids get to choose what they want to play. Parents follow along with the child's lead. Try not to ask questions, but if you need to ask questions, do so in like a a whisper voice. Like if you want to know what should the dad puppet say right now, just whisper, what do you want me to say? So they know that it's less of a direction and more of, I want to take my lead from you. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say then is that kids should have their own toys and materials for self-directed play like that they would be playing in their room by themselves in the floor, Mm -hmm. but that you are going to intentionally choose a set of toys, materials, puzzles, playthings just for you and your child. So that child doesn't have access to that box Mm -hmm. on their own, that it comes out only for your special planned playtime. That's exactly right. Well, that must make them feel amazing to know. And It's in the anticipation of getting to play with those special toys and having mom or dad and just all their attention and focus is on the child, put the devices away, you know, tell dad that he's watching the other kids and it's just mom and the child. That takes a lot of intentionality. I'm like, this is a really, really good challenge for us moms. I hope you're listening. I am listening and thinking, ouch, um, Yeah, because I I tend to think, I don't want to play Barbies. I cannot endure 20 minutes of Barbies. I'm going to pull my hair out. But I'm thinking, okay, what could I do intentionally? I think Legos are cool and fun. Okay, so what if I, I and I know she loves Legos. What if I, for her next birthday or for Christmas or or just not, just special, not for a holiday, I get her a special Lego set or two, maybe some special, um, oh, air dry clay. I love air dry clay. I can do that with her. She loves air dry clay too. So I'm I'm trying to brainstorm. So moms brainstorm. What could you do that you're, you can do with your child and you're not going to tear your hair out to do that with them. Right. Because you want to be able to enjoy the activity. You don't want to be thinking in the background all the time. I hate this. I wish this was over. When is 20 minutes up? Right. Be able to be present and in the moment with your child. And again, it doesn't have to be brand new toys. You can do garage sales or things your friends are getting rid of or, you know, anything works. Absolutely. So it it reminds me, um, so I have three sons who um, are outdoor adventure kind of kids, right? Just like my husband. Um, But I have some health problems that keep me from being able to be outside in the sun. And so I always kind of ached over missing that time, um, you know, and I just didn't have the physical ability to, to, to do those types of adventures with my kids, but they love board games and I love board games. And so I knew that that was the one way that we were going to be able to connect 
and spend time doing things together was, yes, they were going to go wear themselves out outside um, with one another and with my husband, but that I would be there to do board games with them on the inside, you know, inside. And it was just as special. That's wonderful that you were able to find that special activity for you guys to connect. Yeah. So sweet. So, Mm -hmm. and I, I only share that because there's always something, there is always something that you can find uh, to do. Yeah. Be Um, creative and think outside the box. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's really encouraging. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute. I haven't failed so badly at this because one thing I do with my daughter is we do outside stuff. We'll go just, just the two of us. We'll go wildflower picking. Um, we've, we build things outside. Like we've done a big lean to thing with this, the fallen branches. We made a fairy house. I mean, she came up with it from these pieces of bark that were the land by our house. And, and it became this multiple day project of building this fairy house and putting flowers and decorations and moss on it and mushrooms. And, okay, so we can do this. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. So Terry, you mentioned a blog post that Kim had written um, about the ACT method. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that, um, Kim? Yeah, we want to do limit setting, again, kind of along the same lines with reflecting the feeling. So that's going to be your first step. Acknowledge the feeling. Just you're angry, you're worried, you're upset. Then we want to communicate our limit. Um, Thinking of an example. A child comes in and they throw their backpack on the floor because they've had a bad day and you don't want the backpack on the floor because someone could trip over it. So acknowledge, I see you're angry right now. However, we want the backpack picked up on the floor is not okay. And then we want to target acceptable alternatives is the T. You can hang your backpack up in the closet. You can take it to your room or you can put it by the kitchen table where you're going to do your homework later. So again, acknowledge the feeling, communicate the limit, and target acceptable alternatives, ones that you are okay with. Um, Whenever we give choices, we always want to make sure that it's things that we are okay with ourselves. Absolutely. Right. And so when we just say no or stop, we paralyze kids, right? Like we, okay, they know what they can't do, Mm -hmm. right? Mom is saying, no, I can't do this. But if we don't teach them acceptable alternatives and what they can do, then we're going to constantly just walk around saying no and stop all the time, right? Because they're never going to learn to make an acceptable choice. Absolutely. And the more that we give them those acceptable alternatives, the more, again, they're going to find those patterns and they're going to naturally start doing it on their own. We can't take away a behavior without providing something else for them to do. Because I believe that all these behaviors are in service to meet a need. The kid that threw the backpack down was just having a bad day and needed to get out some anger and wanted to drop their backpack off. So again, that's the need they're trying to meet. So we want to, again, give them an acceptable way to meet that need. I love in your post also um, how you talk about that so often, what we typically do, Amy, you just said this, we typically first say no. And then Kim, you talked about, it's so important to first acknowledge their feelings. And so I was thinking about that, A, affirm, acknowledge, you know, appreciate their feeling. Would it? And I was feeling like that A, what that A does 
is it creates relationship. It creates connection instead of our first response. So often is this boom, head to head, you know, we're, we're butting heads. We're saying no. And that's communicating. I don't care about your feelings. I just want you to comply to what I want. And so you're Kim, you're, post talking about acknowledge those feelings first. That's so valuable. And it's so not what we, I'm sorry, I'll own it. It's not what I typically do. Absolutely. Another famous Dan Siegel quote is connection before correction. So again, we want to connect with the child and make sure that relationship's there because then they're going to be more willing to correct the behavior. Right. And I always tell parents that Everything that comes out of our mouths to our child is either going to strengthen that connection with our child or weaken that connection with our child. And so if we can stop and say, okay, if I tell them this, is that going to bring me closer to my child or is that going to tear down those those connections? Um, And I think it makes a big difference, like when you check your heart um, before you speak. Very much so. I just just want to, again, say I'm going to own it. It is so hard. I so often find myself and my older kids have called me on it. I will walk into the house. I've been gone to an appointment or something and I walk into the house and before I even say, I love you or how was your day or anything, I walk in and go, "Uh, you guys, whose socks and crap is all over the floor in here? I'm like, people, shoes go on the shoe shelf. You know, I mean, that's it's so mean. And that's, that's what I so often typically do. Ouch. Connection before correction. I need that tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think what you said, Kim, a few minutes ago was that whole one foot in and one foot out thinking that you're not denying your own feelings, right? You're just saying, I'm going to be in this space with my kid and try to understand what they're feeling and thinking at the same time that I'm recognizing and acknowledging my own feelings and responses. And it's not an either or decision, right? It's a both and. Right. They're both going on simultaneously. And the thing with kids is we're so geared to look for the negative right now. And just, again, in society in general, that's kind of the first thing we see. But kids need five positive things to one negative thing they hear to kind of repair that relationship. So if you think of, if you do come in and say, whose socks and everything is all this, we need to get it picked up, or I don't like this, we need five positives to correct that one negative. And that's easily done, right? I mean, it come even if your instinct is to do the complaint first, Mm -hmm. you can immediately say, okay, I'm going to cushion this blow with (laughs) five positive things now. Yeah. Exactly. How was your day? Thanks for doing your homework. Uh, You know, I like your hair today, whatever it may be. It can be little things to big things, but yeah. Because we're human. We're going to screw it up. We're going to screw it up daily. (laughs) Hourly. Ah. Right. So we have to show ourselves a little bit of grace Mm -hmm. in that moment and say, okay, I shouldn't have said that. Let me walk that back. Or I said that. So let me add something positive. I call it modeling the courage to be imperfect. Just saying my bad. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And just again, showing kids that we are human and it's okay. 
Well, I think that's a really good point too, because we don't want our children to think that perfection is possible, not on this side of heaven, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they can see that we own our imperfections and are still standing and still loved, then it's okay for them to make mistakes too and not beat themselves up and feel unlovable. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm taking so many notes. This is so great. Thank you. Of course. So needed. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to take a break um, and let Terry read a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we want to hear about the webinar that you have for parents. Did you know that more than 6 million children in America have been diagnosed with ADHD? Many of them struggle in school because of their condition. But what if I told you that poor attention may not be the primary cause of their struggles? In a research study with more than 5,000 people with ADHD, we found their working memory, long-term memory, and processing speed were less efficient than their attention skills. So an intervention that only targets attention might miss the opportunity to work on those other skills we need to think and learn. LearningRx can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, we've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. We'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give us a call at 866-BRAIN-01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Kim Feeney about play therapy and managing big emotions in children. And you have a webinar for parents called How to Support Your Child Through Anger, Sadness, and Worry. Talk to us about that and how parents can get um, involved. Of course. The webinar goes through the four steps to being what I like to call an emotion coach for your child, just coaching your child how to regulate those big emotions. Uh, The first step is what I was talking about earlier, just validating the feelings and reflecting them back, helping the child to identify. Then we go into, again, how to cope with the emotions, problem solving ways to make it better. And then finally, we go into empathy because we want kids not just to recognize the emotions in themselves, but to be socially responsible and recognize and help kids, you know, recognize the feelings in other people. and we, I think those are that's a big part. They go hand in hand. So the webinar goes through the four steps. It has uh, techniques and strategies that you can implement today in your home to go from tantrums to talking. And is there a cost associated with the webinar? It is a minimal cost of $25. Um, and it's just an hour-long webinar. You can watch in the comfort of your own home. And you can find it on my website. Which is, I, one more time... ButterflyBeginningsCounseling.com. Great. So I went and I, you know, went through and um, signed up for your email list and, you know, to get information and to go ahead and get that webinar. Um, And yeah, I really appreciate that. um, I mean, I don't want people to overwhelm me with questions, but it sounds like what you're, what you're promoting is that 
that you're also, people can buy that webinar and that you also are making yourself available. You have a contact right there so that if a parent says, look, I watched that webinar, but I'm struggling with this specific thing with my kid. You're not, you're not saying you're going to just give free counseling, but um, I appreciate that. I'm going to go through that. And then if I have a question or two, I can email you, I can contact you. Please do. I don't want it to be like a I watched this and now I have all these questions and I'm not sure what to do with the information. I want you to be able to apply it and use it in your home and to help your family and to build up the emotion and regulation of the kids and the family. And I want to support you in that, to walk with you in that journey. So valuable, so practical. That's what we need as moms. We need the practical help. If it's all just theory and listening to webinars and podcasts, you know, it just, Oh, it's, it's annoying, but you're giving us practical, practical help. That's so good. So I want to ask if we have listeners who um, have heard you talk now about play therapy and um, have heard you talk about big emotions and they're really struggling um, to know whether their child has a problem that needs to be addressed through therapy or if this is just you know, an extreme side of normal that they're seeing, how can they tell the difference? How do they know if they really should pursue um, play therapy for their child? It all comes back to the patterns. If it's a one-off where your kid is getting angry, again, that's just one, you know, a one-off, but if it's consistently, or if there's like a dysregulation that's constant, like the change in sleep or change in appetite or withdrawing more or acting out more, then something might be wrong if it's different from their normal routine. Because kids are routine-based. As much as they fight against structure and limits, that's really what they're asking for and what they need. So if something goes outside of that and it's consistent and it starts becoming the new norm, that's when you may want to reach out for help. At least get an assessment. It definitely can't hurt to have that first initial, I offer free 15 minute consultations and I know a lot of my colleagues do. So just give a call, get on the phone and just say, Hey, this is what's going on. And what do you think? So how would they find a play therapist and what specific qualifications do parents need to look for? You can look for what the credential is a registered play therapist or registered play therapist supervisor. And that's through the association for play therapy. And on their web, their website is a the number four pt.org. And if you go to their website, there is a registry of all the play therapists and the international. So even if you're not in the United States, it's international. Um, you can get on the website, find one in your area. If you do have issues finding it, feel free to email me. I'd be happy to walk you through the process. Excellent. So is there anything that you haven't gotten to say today that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I just want to leave it with, I know parents are doing the best they can. That again, I come from a very strengths-based perspective. You have all the love in the world. You want your children to do their best. And just sometimes parents need a little tweak and support for themselves. Again, we can't do this all alone. We weren't, genetically, we weren't, supposed to be in a bubble. We have all these systems, teachers and doctors and therapists, and lean into them for support. That's what we're here for. Fantastic. 
So this has been a a great conversation with you today. We want to thank you, Kim, um, for taking time out of your busy therapy schedule um, to share these tips and insights uh, with our listeners. Um, If you want to learn more about Kim's work, we will um, put her website link, um, which is butterflybeginningscounseling.com and her social media handles and a link to her webinar and to her resources that we talked about. We'll put all of that in our show notes. Um, So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Follow us on social media at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya. Bye.